Jonah's prayer. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You held me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swelled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, the seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down, the earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit, forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry ground. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to that great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that he will not perish. We will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and didn't bring them upon them the destruction he had threatened. We're going to pray. Bend us, O Lord, where we are hard and cold, and in that refiner's fire come purify the gold. Though suffering comes and evil crouches near, still our living God is reigning. He is reigning here. Amen. So this morning we come to a story that's full of surprises. It's not just a rattling good yarn. It's about the triumph of God's mercy. And it's anchored in real history. If you'd been around what, 2,700 years ago, you would have seen the events of this book. Mission Impossible. That's what it sounds like, doesn't it? Go to a savage, warlike people and tell them God's judgment on sin is coming. Who would not have run the opposite way? Few of us, I think. 
Jonah did. He took that ship in the opposite direction. You see, God had chosen a preacher who wanted a settled ministry, not a challenge. He turned a preacher who wanted to see his enemies crushed, not converted. He chose a preacher who wanted God's grace for himself, but not for others. The wonderful thing this morning is that God didn't give up on Jonah. He's going to send his word to him a second time. He didn't give up on it. And he hadn't even given up on those wretched Ninevites. And the good news this morning, he hasn't given up on us, on his church, or on his world. You see, Jonah had a real heart for God's people. As a prophet, he heard God's voice. He was a respected teacher of God's word. And one day when his prophecy comes true, you can check it out, 2 Kings 14, 25, his prophecy came true, Israel's boundaries were enlarged, and Jonah became the prophet of gath He was the man you went to see. The John Stott of his day, if you like. Jonah was enjoying a good life. He was doing good work, he was in a good place. But God's word came along, and it confronted his comfort zones. It has a habit of doing that. God's word wakes us up, shakes us up in our comfort zones. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. It wasn't just a good idea, it wasn't something he'd dreamt up, it wasn't something he'd heard somewhere. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Beware of imitations. Beware of imitations. There is only one word of God. Only one word of the Lord. The famous author, author, Sir Walter Scott, was heading for his final days. He was very close. And his son-in-law came to visit him. And he was in a room with a vast library, some of it written by Sir Walter Scott. And his father-in-law said to him, read to me from the book. What book? This, this library is full of books. His answer was brilliant. There is only one book. In the end, there is only one book. Beware of imitations. Beware of putting any other book first. There is only one book. It was the word of the Lord that came to, to Jonah. That's why it was so important. And this was the mission impossible. To go to that great city of Nineveh, preach against it. Why? Because its wickedness has come up before me. The actual Hebrew behind it goes, Ooh, nasty smell. Oh, it's a really nasty smell coming up to God. It's that bad. But as we thought before, our God is a God who saves. And he's capable of saving anyone, anywhere. He saved a wretch like me. That's amazing grace. So what's God's plan? He's going to revive that proud preacher and he's going to save the poor pagans. Nobody in the story of Jonah is left where they were. You want an inclusive message? This is God's inclusive message. Everybody is touched by God. Everyone. But it also tells us that the wickedness of Nineveh was notorious and God was going to change that. He is holy. He cannot allow his holiness to be touched, defiled by anything that's bad. There was cruelty, there was plundering. Where did it all come from? From pride and idolatry. In other words, we're saying that sin matters to a holy God. We have to say that sin matters to a thrice holy God. But Jonah, like us, ran away from the Lord. Other prophets were called to write. Jonah was called to go. He had to go to Nineveh. Now Jonah loved preaching God's blessings to God's people. Nothing better. 
But when God called him to serve another race in a hostile land, his selfish heart was exposed. He was a prophet known for his fruitful ministry. But Jonah had lost touch with God's heart, which was for the worldwide mission. Jonah saw the Ninevites as a foe to be feared. Had not Jonah seen the Ninevites like God did, people lost in spiritual darkness, just clumsily wandering around like in the dark, he would have responded more readily to the call. But at the height of his ministry, there's Jonah. He's safe, he's secure in his comfort zone. But the word of the Lord comes to Jonah. God's word is living, it's active. There's nothing like his word and it reveals Jonah's heart heart. And it probes and penetrates behind any kind of mask that we might try to put in the way of God's word. You see, God's challenging word stripped away that top layer, that veneer of godliness, and it shows the selfishness beneath the surface. Jonah runs away from the Lord. God's call is time for Jonah to quit. He was known as one who spoke God's word. He led God's people. What was Jonah's problem? Jonah's problem was the TNCs. You know, when you buy something, you have a long, long list of TNCs. Hardly anybody reads them. But Jonah had terms and conditions. His following of God had lots of terms and conditions. Where he would live, what he would do, where he'd go. Yes, I'll serve you, Lord, providing this, 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 this. That's not following the Lord. That's following my ideas and kind of the Lord's coming alongside me. It doesn't work like that. He lost the peace of mind that he had before. He lost the smile of God's love. And he lost time because he had to go to Nineveh in the end anyway. So this morning, are we running away from the Lord who loves us? Are we disciples diluting our commitment to Christ? Do we have barriers? Do we have no-go zones in our... Yes, Lord, I do that, but mm, not this area. This is slightly different. The old evangelical commentator, Matthew Henry, put it like this. Don't imitate Jonah unless you want to have all God's ways rolling over you. In the long run, it's much harder to shun God's will and his work than to yield to his loving plan for your life. What good sense is that? We have God's plans in Jonah, but we have God's providence too. And God's providence is inclusive. It provides mercy for those penitent pagans and mercy for the disobedient saint. The message of Jonah shows God's plans never fail. We don't need a plan B with God. He is there. This disobedience of Jonah, disbelief of the idol-worshipping sailors, it doesn't matter. What did God do for those sailors? Providence overruled Jonah's disobedience. God sends a violent storm and it confronts the heathen sailors of a crisis. And we read in verse 5, all the sailors were afraid and they each cried out to their own God. We live in a society that proclaims a gospel of religious pluralism. They tell us each religion offers a different view of the truth. They tell us there are many routes to one God. But listen to the story, there was no answer to the sailors' cry. None of their gods had any existence at all, except in their minds. They had no power to answer their prayer. The Holy Spirit declares through Jonah, salvation comes from the Lord. If you count the, the, the words and the lines, this is the centre, the crux of the book. Salvation comes from the Lord. If you don't go home with anything else today, go home with this, salvation comes from the Lord. 
He is the one we need to come through. It doesn't come through anything or anyone else. The sailors do their best to avoid God's remedy, to still the storm. In the end, they have to throw Jonah overboard. But you can hear from their prayers how they're changing. Oh Lord, please don't let us die for taking this man's life. Don't let us be accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. They are talking to the Lord, not to their so-called gods. As they throw Jonah overboard, the raging sea grows calm. And listen to the sailor's response. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord. They offered a sacrifice to the Lord. They made their vows to him. God's providence fulfills his plan to make himself known to these idol-worshipping sailors. The idol-worshippers are now God-fearers. They may look like extras, they, may look, they, they have a bit part in the story, but in God's eyes, their eternal future is important. What God did for the sailors, he saved them. He saved them. As simple as that and as wonderful as that. But what did God do for Jonah? God had not finished with Jonah as he sailed away, as he thought away from God's plan for him. He sent the storm while he slept. Now we're not into fate here, we're not into chance, we're not into coincidence. I went to a shop the other day and they were selling something which was a decision maker. It was a little, like a dice, and you throw it and it tells you what to do next or what meal to have next. How mad can that be? What madness it is. But people are living like that. That is the madness. It was God's hand on Jonah that was working. Cast him overboard, plunge him to the depths. Listen to his words in chapter 2, verse 3. You hold me into the deep. It wasn't a coincidence or a chance. You did it, Lord. All your waves and breakers are sweeping over me. Jonah's struggling for faith now in the water. He's looking inside and feeling his failure. That's what we need to do. But he feels he's beyond forgiveness and hope. But there's a yet in verse 2. Yet I will look again towards your holy temple. Christians need to look upwards. Don't always keep looking down or at something in your hand. Look up to the Lord. I will look again to your holy temple. Faith in God is given to help us overcome our fears and doubt. Faith is not a one-off decision in the past. It may be that. But it's a lifelong journey that follows Jesus. Starts at the cross, ends in a celestial city. That's the pilgrim's progress. I called to the Lord, says Jonah, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave I called for help, and you listened to my cry. If you're in the depths this morning, the Lord alone can answer your prayer. Most of us sitting here this morning will know something what it means to be in the depths in some time or other. But Jonah gives us this wonderful word for today. It could have been written for today in verse 8. Those who cling to worthless idols miss out on the grace that could be theirs. How many people today are clinging to God's substitutes? Now as a favoured Jew, popular prophet, pride was a deadly enemy for Jonah. What God's substitutes have we got today? I wonder. Who are we following? What are we following? The Holy Spirit helped Jonah see his faults prepared him to obey. So he's able to see in verse 9, what I've promised, I will make good. We're talking about the man who refused God's call. We're talking about the man who was unable to pray on the ship. We're talking about the man who felt banished in the water. God saved him. God's saving love changed Jonah. And we have a wonderful song of worship. Where's it coming from? It's coming from the depths. Often we're in the depths of song of worship. It's come because we know God's there with us. 
But I, says Jonah, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. There were lots of things Jonah didn't need. He didn't need a self-improvement course. He didn't need a lecture. He didn't need a fact-finding mission. He didn't need a makeover. He didn't even need a swimming lesson. He needed not religion, but he did need deliverance. And what we need most of all, of everything, every, any issue in our life, we do not need religion. We need Jesus. We need him to save us, which he had already done at the cross. In the depths, Jonah learned salvation comes from the Lord. Have we learned that lesson today? What did God do for Jonah? He saved him. And what did God do for Nineveh? The word of the Lord came to Jonah again. He hasn't given up on Jonah. Jonah's going to be his missionary, whether he likes it or not. The word of the Lord comes to him again. Now he went and proclaims the message. The starting point, wickedness deserves judgment. Holy God, sin matters. But the wonderful thing is Jonah preached, the Holy Spirit brings those Ninevites. They repent their evil, they turn to God. And God's providence averts the judgment and fulfills a mercy mission. Over 120,000 souls living in spiritual darkness. And God saves them. That's what he did for Nineveh. That's what he does for us. What does God see today as he looks down from heaven? Does he see a self-centred, greedy, grumbling, rebellious mankind, trusting in God's substitutes rather than faithfully turning to him, turning their backs on the true and living God? If we trust Jesus, just as Jonah was safe in the fish, in Christ, we are saved from sin and judgment and everything that's bad and wrong. All friends of Jesus journey with him throughout their whole life, sharing his life that never ends. What does God do for us? He saves us. But we have God's plans, God's providence, God's priorities. What did Jonah learn in the depth? Salvation comes from the Lord. The amazing grace of Christ. What is God's grand design? Then his wickedness comes up before the Lord. But listen to the heart of compassion of God in chapter 3, verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion. He did not bring destruction. If you read the Gospels, how often does it say Jesus was filled with compassion? The love from heaven that flows from the heart of the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit. Where does the book end? Nineveh has more than 120,000 people. They can't even turn their right hand from the left. Shouldn't I not be concerned about that great city? God was greatly concerned. And nothing would deflect that Lord, our Lord, from the mercy mission to those who deserve judgment. It was the Lord's living word, his active word, powered by the Holy Spirit. It revealed the secrets of Jonah's heart. He challenged his motives. He set out God's agenda for the future. You see, when Jonah spoke God's word, the Ninevites knew God was speaking. They lost sight of the man. It was God they knew was speaking. They heard Jonah, but they believed God. They didn't make Jonah a cult figure. They believed God. They followed him. They changed their wicked ways. The Holy Spirit is still doing that today, transforming hearts and lives. Our hope for the future, where is it? It's firmly grounded in Christ's compassion, his heart of compassion. We see that so clearly, so wonderfully, so amazingly, so wonderfully in the heart of the Lord Jesus. God is love. And love was God's most excellent way of dealing with his disobedient disciple and the idol-worshipping sailors and the wicked Ninevites. He dealt with them all with a heart of love. And God's love never gives up. There are no bit players, no extras with God. 
You matter in God's eternal plan. You see, Jonah was in a good place. He was doing good work. He was enjoying a good life. And God said to him, Jonah, I want you to go to another place to do a different work for the sake of people I love. People facing imminent judgment. And Jonah said, no. Jesus was in heaven, ruling the universe by his word of power. Adored by the angels in the best place, doing the best work, enjoying the best life. And the father said to his son, go to another place where you will be utterly rejected. Live a life that will end in torture, crucifixion and death. Give up your life for people I love, facing an eternal judgment. And Jesus said, yes. That's why we're here this morning. That's why we're here. Sin is still the greatest pandemic of all. Only God has the answer, and his name is Jesus. But we're not finished with the story. See, see how much, there's a bit of Jonah in all of us, isn't there? God's patience with Jonah. Have you any right to be angry? Jonah starts running away with God, uh, from God, and he ends up being angry with God. He seems to have forgotten the lesson he's just learned. And God has to repeat this mercy lesson. What does he use? He uses a vine, a worm, a sun, the wind. What's the, pro- what's the problem, Jonah? Jonah, your problem is you're more concerned about the damage to your reputation as a prophet than for all these 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness. Is there a bit of Jonah in me or you? Jonah's not alone. You see, the pressures of life, the living in a secular society, can tend to blot out the lessons that the Lord has taught us in the past. Maybe it's blinded us to God's plans, his priorities, his heart of compassion. John 3.16 is a wonderful verse, without question, the most brilliant verse in the Bible, because it's all about a God who sends. A blessed, a wonderful, a precious son who gave himself so he would have life and not perish. But John 3.17 comes close. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. God is not a heavenly policeman waiting to break down and stop all our fun. We couldn't be more wrong. Jesus came from heaven to earth not to blame us, but to save us. Salvation belongs to the Lord. He did not come to judge the world. He did not come to blame. He did not only come to seek It was to save he came. And when we call him saviour, when we call him saviour, when we call him saviour, we call him by his name, Jesus. In the book of Jonah, God's voice has the first word and it also has the last. May it be the case in our lives, in his church, in his world too. Amen. Let's just bow for a moment in prayer.